Well, welcome again to City Hope. My name is Vic. I'm going to be speaking to us uh, for the next few minutes, continuing a series that we started last week on faith for the journey on Abraham. So can anyone here tell me what, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, chorophobia is a fear of? Chorophobia. No. No, no. It's it's funny. I went for this one. I hazarded a guess. Someone would know this. Chorophobia. I probably said it. No, it's fear of clowns. Apparently, fear of clowns. It was in the news a little while ago, wasn't it? It's not a particularly pleasant story. People dressing up as scary clowns and stuff, and and scary. That's why I thought someone might have known that. But um, apparently, Daniel Radcliffe, Harry, Harry Potter actor, has got suffers from that. Which how he starred in Harry Potter, all the makeup and stuff they were, and I've no idea. But anyway, he suffers from chorophobia, uh, nomophobia. Anyone know what that is? I wasn't expecting anyone to know this. Nomophobia. I don't even want to ask John. He doesn't know. Um, I know he doesn't know. No. So, no- nomophobia. I did like this. I do wonder if some of us in the room suffer from this one. Is fear of being without mobile phone coverage. It's a thing. Apparently, it's a thing. So, fear without being mobile phone coverage. There we go. That there, there probably aren't many of us in the room that have a- actual diagnosed. Uh, phobias. I hope not, but, but if you do, by the way, we'd love to pray for you after service. That's genuine, despite you know, joking about mobile phone coverage fears and stuff like that. But many of us, uh, probably all of us, at different times in life, do struggle with fears and anxiety, don't we? So we're doing a series on faith for the journey, because as we go through our journey in life, we're going to be those that meet the challenges of life, the things that come up with faith. Yet, if we're honest, how often actually do we, you know, things come up and our first response inside of ourselves is something more akin to fear and anxiety and worry and confusion. But the wonderful news we have about our God, our Heavenly Father, is He's a God that loves us and blesses us and is always wanting to move us from places of fear to places of faith and trust. Every action of God on our life, throughout life, as we journey through life, whenever we come up against things and you feel in different ways and different degrees, fear and worry and anxiety rising up, God is always looking to move us out of that into a place of faith. It's just wonderful, isn't it? It's good news for us. And we've been, uh, so we started this series in Genesis on Abraham, and Abraham's known as uh, the father of our faith, as a man of great faith, and he was, and uh, you know, we learn from him loads in this, and we'll see it in this passage, but at the start of Genesis chapter 15, he's clearly not in a great place, and he's in more of a place of fear. And the opening lines of Genesis 15 actually is straight away God speaking to him and saying this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham... Let me just stop there quickly. Some of you will be very familiar with that. I will almost certainly be saying Abraham all the time. Abraham's name changed a few chapters time to Abraham. So he's, it's the same person, okay? God gave him a new name from Abraham to Abraham. Sarah explained it very well last week, in, if you want to listen to her talk. So uh, it's Abraham at the moment, but it's the same person as Abraham. So after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not... 
be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Probably um, the immediate context for Abraham, because the previous chapter he'd been in a fight. Um, not just fisticuffs, he'd been in a genuine battle, armed fight, he'd fought against some kings, uh, he'd got involved because they captured his nephew Lot and he went off to rescue him and he won this battle. But he's new to the land, he's, uh, uh, you know, um, he doesn't have anywhere secure to live in a land lately and quite possibly he's now fearing repercussions. So he's the new guy, he's got involved in these turf wars between different kings because his nephew got caught up in the middle of it so he's gone in and he's won and he's rescued his nephew and it was all a great victory for him, chapter 14. But now, quite possibly, it doesn't actually say specifically, he's thinking, oh no, what's going to happen next? I'm the new guy here, we're not properly established. You know, I feel like God's called me to be in this land that's what he's going to give me and I've left my, my father's house and my land and I've come here. It's last week's uh, talk by Sarah. And I've ended up in this fight. When, what's the repercussions coming now? So it doesn't say that specifically, but it could be quite likely that that's what's going on. And God comes and says, don't fear. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. You know, Abraham was maybe fearing um, harm was going to come to him because he's going to be attacked again. Or fearing it was going to lose in some way. He's going to suffer loss you know, he would be attacked. He would lose his, you know, cattle, his sheep, his livelihood, his family. And so God says to him, no, no, it's okay. I'm your shield. I'm going to protect you. And I'm your reward. I'm everything you need. Those that walk in faith with me, those that follow me, you cannot really suffer loss because I'm always there for you. I'm always your reward. I'll protect you. I'll look after you. Therefore, don't be afraid. Now, surely, that for, for all of us, we're not expecting you know, a few groups of kings to dust themselves down, lick their wounds, regather their armies and come and attack us Monday morning, are we? But you know, Monday morning comes and there'll be all sorts of challenges, all sorts of things we you know, might be concerned about, worried about, where we fear different ways harm may come to us, whether it's rational or irrational, Sometimes we know, but it doesn't make any difference to what the emotions are going through, does it? You know, we'll suffer loss in some way. Things won't work out the way we are. And God says those who follow him, those that trust him, he's our shield, he's our reward. He look up, looks after us. We do not have to fear. I mean, it's easy to say that God says, do not fear. You think, oh, no, no, I'm not supposed to fear. But to, to get in us, no, he's our protector. He's everything we need. I mean, it's, it's huge in one sense, and wonderful and profound, and yet amazingly simple and straightforward as well. He wants our hearts to get hold of that, just like he wanted Abraham to get hold of that. So that's how he opens this Genesis chapter 15, God immediately speaking uh, to Abraham. I just want to say, so I, I remember um, specifically thinking through some of this for myself, and we're always on a journey, aren't we? We're always, always on a journey. But I mean, very clearly, when Caroline and I first had uh, children, still the same children, uh, <laughs> but first had children, and uh, I think I genuinely used to think of myself as someone that didn't worry particularly, not a huge worry, not somebody that you go through life with huge amounts of anxiety and everything, but suddenly I had children, and it did change for me. I suddenly realised I was worrying about everything with this tiny baby and, and honestly it got to a, a sort of a stage where I realised it, it, if you like it was 
it was a bit more than just, you know, there's some always natural things change and you think things through and stuff like that. I thought, mate, if I don't get before God with this, I'm going to just be constantly anxious. It was real issues of faith and trust in God. And again, it's always a journey. I'm not claiming I've never worried about my kids since, but I remember going through a process of praying and talking to God about it and coming to a much better place of, I can trust God with my children. It's not all on me. You know, he's the shield. He's the reward. I do not have to fear. And I know I encountered some change with God in that situation. And of course, it's ongoing and different issues rise up. But uh, it was that moment for me, a number of years ago now. And of course, we want to keep living that out. So God says that to Abraham. Uh, and then Abraham's comes back to him, and I'm going to read, we're actually going to go, over the course of this talk, we're going to read through all of Genesis chapter 15, the words aren't going to come up on the screen, everyone, so hopefully you'll be able to listen as I read it through, this is not the whole of it, we're now reading from verse 2 to verse 6, so Abraham said, it says, but Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me, since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer, Eliza, Eliezer, of Damascus, And Abraham said, you've given me no children, so a servant of my household will be my heir. Then the words of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I'm not sure Dan knew that was the passage coming up. You obviously remember Dan's word to us earlier about stars. And then finally verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as credited it to him as righteousness. So God speaks to Abraham, do not be afraid. And Abraham immediately comes back uh, with a question, uh, or a couple of questions, same question. He knows God's promised him uh, already from previous chapters, and again Genesis 12, when Abraham suddenly appears on the scene for us and what Sarah shared last week, that God has promised him to inherit a land uh, and to have many descendants and offspring, but he's got no children, he's not firmly established in the land yet. So he's, he's partly saying, God, it's all very well you saying, don't be afraid and I'm your shield and reward, but what about some of these promises you said? Now, it's, I'm sure it's best off thinking through Abraham's questions here as questions that come from a place of faith. Abraham is being changed by God, even in this interaction. And obviously that last verse, verse 6 there, said, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him, I can't say it, can I, as righteousness, which is actually really quite a famous verse in the Bible because in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses this story in this verse on a few occasions to demonstrate that um, we're always obtaining righteousness from God through faith. It's a foundational statement for how God works with this. It's never by works. It's never by our own merits. Just like Ruth shared earlier, from got to share with that client of hers and how he was struggling with things. But actually, our righteousness is based on what Jesus has done and trusting in him and not in what we have done. And Abraham, you know, prior to Jesus, said he had an experience with God that brought him to that kind of conclusion of trusting in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so when he questions God, it's viewed as a positive thing in this story, which is really important. He's not, and God comes back to him with genuine answers and helps him from. He's not gone, and it's really important. God said, look, Abraham, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. 
But, says Abraham, I haven't got any children. God doesn't come back and say, hang on a second, aren't I? Listen, I'm God, mate. Come on, I'm enough for you. This is the whole message. You've got, I'm enough for you. But it seems Abraham genuinely saying, I know that God, I believe in that God, but I know you've also promised things. It's part of you said, can you give me some more detail? And from a place of faith, rather than of distrust and lack of faith, he asks God uh, some questions. There's another one coming up. There's two questions he brings, asking for more detail. Now, we want to be people that live life in faith, that trust God in all situations and all circumstances, that don't let fears overcome us and anxiety as, we, you know, as challenges come up. But it doesn't mean we don't have questions. It doesn't mean you think... How's that supposed to work out? I don't understand about that. And I think God is happy and encouraging and wants us to go to him and ask questions. But from a place of trust, not from a place of distrust, which is sinful, which is wrong. In the New Testament, uh, the, the sort of birth of Christ in the early part of the New Testament, um, Luke's Gospel records two people asking an angel a very similar question, but getting very, very uh, different responses. So the angel appears to Zechariah and says, you and your wife are going to have uh, a son as a forerunner to Jesus. It's a prophecy about John the Baptist. And Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are very old, and they'd not had children all those years. So what was going to change? And Zechariah goes, well, how can I be sure? He says, how can I be sure to the angel? A few verses or the chapter later in Luke, um, Gabriel, the angel, appears again, this time to Mary, and tells her she's going to have a baby and she's still a virgin. And she says to the angel, how will this be? But Zechariah, he gets told off and says, well, you're not going to say anything now. He says, I'm Gabriel, I stand before the Lord, you've not believed me, you're not going to say anything now till it's happened, then you'll know. And it's a great story because they is called... Uh, when the baby is born, John the Baptist is born to be named John. Uh, that's not part of the family name, not the done thing for them. And so they're saying, Elizabeth is saying he's going to be called John, but they want the father's permission. When he writes on the tablet, his name is John, God opens his mouth because he's brought to a point of believing what God's done. Great story. But he asked the question, clearly not from a great place, distrusting. But it looked like the same question. Mary, on the other hand, was much more submissive and before God, and saying she, it seems like her attitude was right before God, but she wanted some understanding. It was a huge step for her, and Gabriel gives her an answer within her and our own limited understanding of the virgin birth. So we can ask questions of God. Uh, we can ask questions of God, but sometimes we can ask it from a place of distrust and lack of faith, and sometimes from a place of faith. And maybe sometimes it's hard to pick out, even when you hear them, but it's very important. And God really honours the pl questions from a place of faith. You know, we want to trust and say, God, I do believe you. I know you've got good plans to prosper me, to bless me. But this situation, that situation, how's it supposed to work out? You've got questions about job, money, family, relationships, church life, health whole manner of things. Things aren't going great in different ways and you want to talk to God about them. And that's good and that's right. And I think we could almost say, start talking to God about them before your questions become the anxieties and the fears. Keep bringing to God. Quite a well-known New Testament uh, passage. 
So it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful promise for us, isn't it? And there's something about praying in faith there, because by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you're obviously in a, some kind of play, good place with God. It's not critical, it's not moaning. You know God's got it, but you want to talk to him about stuff. before the anxiety uh, starts ruling and reigning in your heart. And the promise there is is that God will always answer. He'll always answer. It's not a direct promise that you'll always get exactly the answers you're hoping you'll get or get all the details and information, but the promise of God that you'll always get the answer and the peace of God will come. There will be something which transcends, which can come to you in whatever situation you're at, which is threatening to take away your faith for the journey and cause you to have fear for a journey. So we want to be those that pray and ask God, bring to him our questions and the concerns. And Abraham did that. Okay, now the story goes on. This is the longest passage. So God carries on speaking to Abraham. He said, um, and obviously we didn't actually touch on the actual promise at all, so Abraham has asked, well, you've said I'm going to inherit the land, I have many descendants, but I haven't even got, in the moment, uh, my heir is a servant. God says, no, no, you are going to have a son. That's going to happen to you. And then he reiterates the promise of inheriting the land. He also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So this land that he's wondering, maybe you think the kings are going to get me again. I'm not I'm never going to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So, again, I think the way God responds to him is to see it seems a place of faith. He's not doubting God uh, as such. He's, he's believing God. It's been righteousness has been credited to him. Uh, but he is, he's saying, well, come on, God, tell me more. Feed me on this. Build me up on this. Give me some more details. Of how can I be sure? Keep, please keep building my faith. And so the Lord said to him, and it gets weird at this point, bring me a heifer a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. This is not a direct response, is it, to the question. Abraham brought all these things to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half, in case you were wondering. The then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier and blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces, the the animals lying on the floor. On that day, the Lord made a covenant. It's an important word, a covenant with Abraham, and said, and said, to your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. It was all going to go to Abraham. So we asked this second question, and that's God's response. 
this, to be honest, this quite odd ritual. And as I was trying to read around about it, and commentators are basically going, it's a bit odd. But there seem to be a few things going on here. And overall, that word, that, that word covenant is what's really important. A covenant, one dictionary definition, is an agreement which brings about a relationship of commitment between God and his people. So God, our God, who cannot lie and is trustworthy in everything he says, when Abraham says, how can I be sure, doesn't just say the the promise again. He performs this ritual, this covenant ritual, to demonstrate his absolute determination to fulfill everything he said to Abraham. He can be completely trusted anyway. And yet there's this sort of ritual, this building up of the, you know, the, the sort of intensity and the level of promise that goes on here. Covenant is not a word we tend to use much uh, today, obviously, is it at all? The, the only sort of gen, you know, modern day uh, consistent um, sort of use of it, equivalent with it, is in the sense of marriage where marriage is a covenant. We know it's so important before God and two people covenant to be with each other, a lifelong promises. And we know there's something wonderful and joyful, yet obviously really solemn and important about that. And in terms of modern day life, it's about the only context, I think, where we really encounter something that in begins to encapsulate what's going on here. Uh, covenant relationship. God is covenanting with Abraham. Obviously, the promise itself really um, starts stretching Abraham from beyond his immediate situation and talks about, and for those of you that know some of the Bible story, you'll recognize it, Abraham's descendants for, four, being, uh, for 400 years being strangers in a country not their own, being enslaved and ill-treated. Then they get brought out with great possessions. And this is, of course, the story of the Israelites in Egypt before them Moses with the ten plagues and everything brings them out of Egypt, rescues them through the Red Sea and they even come out with the possessions of the Egyptians. It's even talked about 400 years previously. It's a huge, huge promise, a huge covenant. The people of Israel would have been living under this promise, this covenant for all those years. It's one that stretches all that time, the trustworthy promise of God that they could always rely on, always come back to, even in their bleakest times of slavery and even you know, not according to their own behaviour, how well they were living for God or not, that promise of God still stood over them to bring them through. He fulfilled it, he did it, it happened. And there's certain things we can see in the way that the promise uh, was given that I think is helpful for us to hear. Abraham was very passive in that whole encounter. God seems he deliberately puts Abraham in a, it says a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. He's kind of been deliberately brought into a sort of a passive place. This is all about what God's doing, what God's saying. It's all his work. It's all his generosity. It's all his promises. It's all down to him and is not reliant upon Abraham's part of the bargain. We know God treats us that way, isn't it? And it's a good job that our relationship with God is so much more down to his treatment of us than our uh, treatment and life for him. The animals cut in two, it does appear in a few other places of the Bible. So uh, uh, essentially what seems to be being said there when... Uh, God in the sort of form, again it's quite odd, the, the smoking brazier and the blazing torch appeared and goes between the animals and God speaks, this is my promise to you, these dead carcasses. 
is basically saying, if I don't fulfill this, may this be done to me. He's kind of saying, this is my commitment, this is my promise. If, if I break this, if I don't fulfill what I'm saying and promising to you, you're just passive in it, watching it, then basically you can cut me in half. You can asunder God. It's kind of that, not that that'd be possible, of course, but it's that, that sort of statement of commitment to say, I'm serious about this. May this be done to me if I go, you know, if I get it wrong. A real sort of oath, a vow in that sense. And as I said, it was the covenant that then stood. And Genesis 15, theologian says a key point in the sort of first few books of the Bible where you can always trace them through the story from Genesis 15 right through to the end of Deuteronomy 34, which is five books time, uh, or the fifth book of the Bible. And everything that sort of happens in those chapters, quite a lot of stuff is, if you like, encapsulated, enclosed within this great promise. Because by the end of Deuteronomy, they're just about going to the promised land. So it's got enormous significance. And the no record of Abraham's response is recorded here, but presumably when he woke up from his deep sleep and his trance-like state, he was uh, probably baffled and overwhelmed, but hopefully encouraged as well. Hopefully very much encouraged that God had made that statement of commitment to him. And he was there. You know, as he goes through the rest of his life looking to live his journey in faith, he'd be able to recall that incident, that moment when he saw this amazing vision, this, this brazier going through the animals. He'd remember the animals cut in two and be able to think, God had said that would happen to him if he didn't fulfill this. This is going to be okay. I can have faith. I can trust him. I will inherit the land. He has stated it. And it's sort of visual and, uh, you know, and intense. And of course, we, covenant is a very important word in the Bible. And uh, as Christians, we talk about living under the new covenant, don't we? There are various big covenant promises God made to various Bible hearers through the Old Testament. But to us, in the, in the New Testament and even the new covenant, we know we live under uh, the covenant promises of God. And that God's covenant promise to us has been demonstrated not through animal sacrifices and visions, you know, think going through the middle of animals and anything like that, but by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And that that is what happens that, know, that means we know we can trust God and we are in a new relationship with God under his new covenant. Not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. Something that has happened, and that's our basis for the relationship with God. We might, in one sense, we were the equivalent to being in the deep sleep. Nothing to do with us. But Jesus has died, he's raised again, he's shed his blood for us. And we're going to take up communion in a bit, which is the demonstration, the sign of that covenant which Jesus told us to do. So for Matthew's Gospel, while they were eating, Jesus took bread... And of course, so while they were eating, they were doing the Passover meal. It follows through, even from what this, it just links in so wonderfully and amazingly. But while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is our covenant relationship with God. This means we know for certain, for sure, no matter what's going on in life, no matter what feelings, whatever um, fears may be creeping up different areas of life, but God has covenanted himself to us to forgive our sins, 
to bring us into his family, to be our loving father, for us to have an inheritance with him for all eternity. You know, journeying through life in faith can be hard, if you like. It can be great as well, of course, but we know it can be hard. Every one of us knows that to different degrees and different ways. Things come up. Fears arise. Supposed to be a person of faith. But fears arise. God comes to us time and time again. He's our shield. He's our reward. We can trust him. We do not have to be fearful. We can go back to him. We can ask him questions. Say, well, what about this? He's happy for that. He wants us to do that. He's kind. He's generous. But underneath it all, because we only ever see in part, there's never quite working perfect. Underneath it all is the death and resurrection of Jesus, a new covenant promise to us, which means we know not to do with us. We know it's okay. We can be people of faith. Our God is completely trustworthy. He has demonstrated once for all time. And we love him, don't we? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he great? And whatever you're going through now, can I say the covenant is bigger than what you're going through now? It's what, what, thinking, how do I get through this? How can, I don't know how it's going to work out. You know, I don't know, you don't know. God hasn't said anything too specific, but the covenant promises of God, it's bigger, it's stronger, it's more stable. One of the great kind of, um, you know, illustrations in the Bible is talked about God setting our feet on a rock. It doesn't feel like you're on, but you're on the rock. You're on the rock in the new covenant. It will not change. It cannot change. He's done it. It's happened. And when we take the bread and we take the wine, it's remembering it happened. There was a guy called Jesus, so human and yet so uh, godly at the same time, so human, most people didn't recognize it. They crucified him. His blood was shed. He knew it was going to happen to him. He said, so when you do this, remember it. It's done. It's done. When he's on the cross, he says it's finished. And that's why we can be people of faith and we can journey with a life of faith. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it great? Let me just pray, uh, and then we're going to um, uh, distribute or move and take the, the bread and the wine and sort of pray for each other and remember everything Jesus has done. So, Father, I want to thank you that you are a faithful God, a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. And we want to thank you that we live in the time of just the greatest covenant promise that you uh, made through your Son, through his death, his resurrection, that you have so loved us, Uh, You so wanted us to know you, to have our sin forgiven. You have given your life for us. You've shed your blood for us. And now we know we're in a relationship with you. Lord, we know that takes us beyond death. It takes us through all of life, Lord Jesus. We do say build us up in our faith in you. Help us overcome our fears. Thank you, you are generous and kind to us. Lord, for all of us in the room now that are feeling anxious or worried about certain things, Lord God, come to us by your Spirit. Lord, build us up, strengthen us, give us wisdom, give us grace. Lord, but help us know that we stand on that rock of that covenant promise, Lord. And as we break bread and take the wine now, Lord God, will you come and stir our hearts again? We are safe, we are secure. You have given yourself to us. You're our shield, you're our reward. It will never change. It can never be taken away from us, Lord. We cannot ultimately suffer loss or harm because you've brought us into your family. Our treasures in heaven kept for us. It can't go wrong. It's just wonderful, Jesus. We pray, stir our faith to believe you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.